you search social media for the hashtag blessed, what would you find? I was a little nervous about doing that, so I didn't actually do it. I didn't know what I might find. But if you were to ask that question of random people around Charlotte, what sorts of answers might you get? Some might say that a person is blessed who has great success in his or her career, has accomplished wonderful things in the eyes of the world. Others might say a person is blessed who has worked to change the world. The world is a different place, a better place of contributions made by that person. Others would make that more personal. Someone is blessed if they've really intervened in some individual's or family's lives, and so those person's lives are, are better because of the way that person helped. Perhaps that's related to another area. Some might say, you're blessed if you've worked to have political change at the local or state or national level, and you've seen that come about. Others might focus on possessions, right? That you're blessed if you have a wonderful house, and maybe a second house on the beach or in the mountains or at the lake. You're blessed if you have the latest gadgets, if you have wonderful cars and new clothes. Others might focus on the physical aspects. You're blessed if you have good health, or if you have a great body, and maybe that then relates to being attractive sexually and having a wonderful sexual relationship, and some would expand on that and say even with multiple sexual partners. Others might focus on aesthetics and intellectual engagement. You're blessed if you have access to great music, or great books, or great art, or you have people that engage with you, and you can have great conversations with them. Others might focus on relationships, friends, family. That's the nature of being blessed. And yet others might say, there's no way in this crazy world to be happy and satisfied. And so the only blessings come through escape, whether that's through fantasies or the metaverse or drugs. Others might say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be blessed. Well, Psalm 119 tells us what the blessed life looks like. Who is blessed? Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole hearts who also do no wrong, but walk in his way. So how does the psalmist's answer compare with those various answers 
we listed that we might find in Charlie. The psalmist's answer is different from every one of those, including the last. It's more complex than any of those answers. It says that the blessed life is one that consists of walking in the law, walking in God's ways, walking on his road, on his path. The blessed life consists of seeking God with all that we are on the inside. And so that is in contrast to that last point, believe in Jesus and you will be blessed. Because the psalmist is clearly not speaking of a one-time decision that moves you from the category unblessed to the category blessed. Indeed, he's not speaking of something you obtain or of an activity that you do. What is the psalmist talking about? He's talking about a lifelong relationship with the God of the universe. That's the blessed person. The person who has an intimate relationship with his or her creator. He's the God who made him or her, who loves him or her. And then walking with him before him every day. This is the type of relationship that our Lord Jesus had with the Father during his time in this world. He walked in the law of the Lord. He kept God's testimonies. He sought the Father with all his heart. He did no wrong, but walked in the Father's ways. That's Jesus' life in this world. Do you remember what Jesus said after he had fasted for 40 days and hungered and Satan tempted him to take the stones around them and turn them into loaves of bread? He quoted from the passage that Jeff read for us from Deuteronomy 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Well, that's the attitude of the psalmist in Psalm 119. He's saying, your word, God, is my life. I live by listening to you, by following you by trusting you. Your word is my life. I live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So Psalm 119 describes a right relationship with God. That is the blessed life. And Jesus lived that out. The psalm promises that we too can have such a relationship with our Creator. A life-giving, fulfilling, satisfying, yes, blessed relationship. 
as we read from 2 Corinthians 1 in our call to worship, every one of God's promises is yes in Jesus. And so the promise in Psalm 119 of a blessed life, a true life, the promise of deep joy in him in the midst of a crazy, mixed-up, fallen, dangerous world, that promise is yes in Jesus. That promise is yes as we come to the Father through the crucified and risen Son. Well, that's the central message of Psalm 119. We find true life only in God, and he communicates himself via his word. And today, we know he communicates himself through that written word that the psalmist was delighting in, and also through Jesus, the living word, who displayed and fulfilled that written word. As Jesus enables rebels like us to have that blessed relationship with the Father. Well, take a look at the psalm on your device or in your hard copy of the Bible. There are 22 sections in this psalm. Some, some of the apps don't do a very good job of noting this. In printed form, it's, it's quite obvious. Some of the apps do it well. There are 22 sections of eight verses each in this psalm. Most Bibles, most printed Bibles, do label each eight-verse section with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, or 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And the verses in each section begin with the same letter. So it's as if the first eight verses all begin with the letter A, the next eight verses all begin with the letter B, the next eight verses all begin with the letter C, etc., and so 8 times 22, 176 verses in this longest chapter in the Bible. Almost every verse refers to God's word in some way, using different words, law, Torah, as we spoke about in this week's group of email, word, ordinances, testimonies, commandments, statutes, precepts, sayings, promise. But word in this psalm does not mean a set of rules we obey in order to gain access to God. Don't think of word or law in that sense. Nor is this word a set of laws that we obey outwardly in action in order to satisfy the lawgiver, but inwardly, deep in our hearts, we really long to violate those laws or rules. That's not the type of relationship to the word or the law that the psalmist is talking about here. This word is recognized as the path to life, to true life, to true joy, to true happiness. That's the nature of the word to the psalmist. Because 
As we said, the word is the path to a relationship with our loving creator, the path that Jesus walked before us. So I encourage you, read this psalm expectantly. Read this psalm daily and see how you can know and love God through this, his word. I'm planning on somewhere between six and eight sermons on this chapter. At least the first few weeks will take 24 verses at a time, three letters for the Hebrew alphabet each week. This morning, I want to start by giving you an analogy to help you grasp the relational aspect of this psalm, to grasp that a bit more clearly. And then ask the question, how do we seek him? Verse 2 says that we are to seek him with our whole heart. How does this section of the psalm elaborate on that? How do we go about seeking God? This will only be an introduction to how we seek God. We're going to go into much greater detail in that over the next several sermons. So first of all, the analogy. Imagine a child, a teen or a young adult, and let's call her a young woman, but we can just as well make this story about a young man. And we'll speak of her relationship with her father, but again, it could just as easily be her mother. It just makes the pronouns a little clearer if we have different sexes there. So a young woman and her father. The young woman has complete confidence in her father. She knows that he is wise and experienced. She's confident in his love for her. She knows that he has her best interest at heart. She knows also that she needs his guidance. She needs his counsel. She needs his support if she's going to make wise decisions in the life that is in front of her. Furthermore, she knows that she is subject to temptations. Temptations that would harm her, would hurt her if she fell into them. She understands, therefore, as we sing, that she is prone to wander. So she needs help if she's going to walk a wise, life-giving road. Well, now, this young woman is about to depart on a long journey to a faraway city. She will have no cell phone, no internet, there'll be no telecommunications whatsoever. And so she seeks her father before she leaves. She acknowledges to him her weakness, her neediness, and she asks him, please give me all I need to complete this journey. And yes, there's some money I need, there's some clothes I need, but more than that, 
I need your wisdom. I need to take your wisdom with me. And so, the father does provide the material things she needs, but then he writes her a series of letters. A series of letters where he tries to impart to her his wisdom, that he won't be able to speak to her so that she can read it when she's in this faraway city. And in these letters, he tells her of his love for her, of his confidence in her. So he encourages her, and then he gives her the wise counsel, the guidance that she is requesting. And furthermore, near the end of the last letter, he says, I promise you, one day, I will come and join you in that faraway city. So the girl departs, she travels, and she values those letters far above anything else that she has. She sees in these letters the love of her father for her. And as she reads the letter, she not only remembers her father, she learns even more about who he is through what he writes to her. And so she delights in his instruction. She knows that these letters not only guide her in the way of life, but they also now are helping her understand and know and appreciate her father even more than she ever did before. And she realizes that she can take on more and more of her father's character as she reads, studies, meditates on, and follows these letters. So what does she do? She commits herself to continuing in that regular reading and meditating on these letters. She commits herself to taking parts of those letters to heart. She commits herself to following his counsel, even though she knows that in the city where she's headed, following her father's counsel is going to lead to contempt and rejection and mocking. And there's some possibility it could even lead to danger. But she knows, she knows, her father is trustworthy. He is all wise, so loving. And she will follow his instruction. So she does that. She arrives in the city. She lives this out. She follows her father's counsel. She learns his wisdom. She continues to read his word and put it into practice in her life. It is difficult. She does face mocking. She sometimes forgets and stumbles. She sometimes neglects his counsel. And in other cases, she doesn't understand parts of his letter. They're not clear to her what it means to live out with some of the decisions that she has to make. 
in the midst of that mocking that she receives, she finds out that even powerful people who are plotting against them. But she holds on to his promise. She believes these are the words of life. And so she keeps returning to his letters and she fulfills her commitment to meditate on them, learning what she can from them. And she trusts, she trusts, my father is going to come just as he promised. And then one day she hears a knock on the door and she opens the door and there he is after all this time. And he embraces her and he tells them how much he loves she delights to be in his presence and she sees that what he has communicated in his letters is exactly who he is. And she understands him so much better than she did before she first left home. And over time as they interact, as she talks, she describes the ways she has tried to live out his advice and she tells him of her failures, her misunderstandings, her inconsistencies. And now in person, he, he clarifies the meaning of the letters. He alleviates her confusion. And he reiterates his love for her. Despite her failures, her stumbles, her lack of understanding. So she realizes more clearly than ever, he has given me life, true life, through his word. Well, that analogy gives a flavor of the type of relationship that Psalm 119 is talking about. A loving, committed, dependent relationship mediated through God's word. The word, the law, the decrees are not the goal for the psalmist, just as the letters were not the goal for the girl. The word links us to God as the letters link the girl to her father. The word shows us who he is and guides us on the path to a fulfilling life with him. And this side of the cross, the resurrection, the with the advantage of hindsight, which the author of Psalm 119 didn't have, we see Jesus in two roles here. Jesus is both the psalmist, as I mentioned earlier, the one par excellence who lives out all of Psalm 119, but Jesus is also the returning father in that story, fulfilling the promise, encouraging us, forgiving us, clarifying for us the word. Now, like all analogies, this falls short 
in several ways. Three things I'll highlight today. One, in Psalm 119, there's active communication throughout, as we're going to discuss in a few minutes. I set it up without communication. The only communication was in the Word. But in Psalm 119, there's constant prayer between the psalmist and God. Second limitation of the analogy, think of verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live. In the analogy, in the story, the letters point the way to life. The psalmist is saying something more than that. That the word not just points the way to life, but God is granting life itself. The relationship with God is a life-giving relationship. And then third limitation of the analogy, and third one I'm going to note today, last one I'm going to note today, is in God's relationship to the others around us. In the analogy, the girl has that relationship with her father, but those who are mocking her or persecuting her don't have any relationship with the father. But of course, with God, that's not the case. Verse 21 of today's text. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. All mankind is accountable to God. And he rebukes and eventually curses those who wander from his commandments and do not repent and come to him through Jesus. And therefore, verse 13 of today's text, we proclaim the word to those who need to hear it. We pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. So, in sum, this psalm concerns a relationship with our Creator, our Lord. We are blessed if we have that relationship. If we seek Him with our whole heart. If we walk in His ways. If we love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's the first heading. Second heading, then, how do we seek him? More details, as I said, in the weeks ahead. But this morning, I want to cite briefly seven truths about seeking God. First truth, we must seek him. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. We must seek him. That's the only path to true blessing. Second truth. We seek him by trusting and following his instructions. As the girl in the analogy seeks her father 
by listening to his counsel and following it. We've seen that already in verses 2 and 10, but verse 1, those who walk in the law of the Lord, verse 3, those who walk in his ways, those are the ones who are blessed. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure, or how can a young man purify his way? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 17, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. So to live is to keep the word. That's true because he's told us in his word who he is, who we are, and how we can have a relationship with him. So to seek his face, to seek his presence, we must trust. We must trust that God is who indeed he has revealed himself to be in his word. We must trust that his instructions really are the path to life. They really are for our good, even when they don't appear to be. We must trust that every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord is the way to have life. And so we seek him through his word by trusting him and following his instructions. Third, we seek him by praying without ceasing. In these first 24 verses, eight of the verses contain prayers. Verses 5, 8, 10, 12, 17, 18, 19, 22. The percentage of the verses that contain prayers goes up after these first 24. In, the, in all 176 verses, more than half of them contain prayer of one type or another. But listen to some of the phrases that I've not yet read during as part of this sermon. Verse 8, do not utterly forsake me. Verse 12, teach me your statutes. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 19, hide not your commandments from me. All of these are prayers. Seeking God through asking that I may see and understand and take to heart his revelation of himself in his word. I've already read verse 17, but I want to go back to it. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Obviously another prayer. Deal bountifully with your servant. One commentator renders this deal fully with your servant because he's concerned bountifully sounds like we're asking for a lot of stuff, right? Deal bountifully with me. Give me all sorts of possessions and things. But that's not what the psalmist is talking about. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your words. What is he asking for? 
He's asking for whatever he needs to live the life of relationship to God that is the blessed life. Whatever he needs in order to keep the word and walk in God's ways. When we think of it that way, what we're asking for is what God has promised in 2 Peter chapter 1. Remember at verse 3? His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. That's what Bill Bountifully was meaning. Give me what I need to live a life before you, to live a godly life before you. More on this idea next Sunday. Fourth, we are to seek him, obviously, by learning and remembering the word. The analogy, in the analogy, the girl returns to her father's letters again and again and again. So verse 6, my eyes are fixed on all your commandments. Verse 7, I learn your righteous rules. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 16, I will not Forget your word. Verse 19. Hide not your commandments from me. So learning and remembering his word is key to this close relationship with God. Fifth. We seek him by committing ourselves to persevere. Committing ourselves to to first persevere. As in the analogy in our lives, there is opposition. There are setbacks. There are failures. But the psalmist says, by your grace, I will continue to seek you in your word, whatever happens. So verse 8, he says, I will keep your statutes. And then verses 15 and 16. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will not forget your word. These are commitments the psalmist is making. I will not forget. I will meditate. And verse 23. Even though princes sit plotting against me, so there's all this powerful opposition, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Sixth, sixth way that we seek him. We seek him by proclaiming his instructions to others. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. That's the only verse in these verse 24 that speaks of proclaiming these rules and law to others. There's much, much more in the rest of Psalm 119. 
Seventh, finally, we seek him by rejoicing in his work. We seek him by rejoicing in his work. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. Verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 24, your testimonies are my Why does he put such an emphasis on delighting in the law, delighting in God's rules? To rejoice in God's word is to rejoice in God. Because in the word, we see God for who he is. And when we do that, when we rejoice in the word and thus rejoice in God, joy then flows out of us. That's what verses 1 and 2 are saying. Blessed are those, happy are those, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. We're rejoicing in the word, thus in God, and that leads to the overflow of rejoicing before others. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. So joy in his word is joy in him that leads to joy dwelling in us. And that there, therefore, glorifies God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So the seven ways that we seek him. First, we must seek him, and then we do that by trusting and following his instruction, by praying without ceasing, third, fourth, by learning and remembering his word, fifth, by committing ourselves to persevere, sixth, by proclaiming his instruction to others, and seventh, by rejoicing in his word. So this morning, we just touched on the message of this psalm. So I encourage you again, read it, memorize at least the parts of it that we are using as fighter verses. Seek God through Jesus, through his word, and thereby deepen your love for him. For he has granted his instruction to us. He deals bountifully with us, providing us with all we need for life and godliness. And he offers us that relationship. He offers us himself through the redemption of his son, through the revelation of his word, through his life-giving spirit. So like the psalmist, commit yourself to seeking him via his word. Commit yourself to walking in his counsel, even when it even when it means saying no to something that is precious to you. Commit yourself to praying, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. See Jesus in this psalm 
as you read it and know this is the way to life. This is the way to genuine blessing. This is the way to know and love your gracious heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Please take a moment to pray silently in response to what you've heard. centuries and centuries. You sent the Lord Jesus as you promised. And that sacrifice paying the penalty for our rebellion. You raised him from the dead showing the penalty paid was sufficient. And you promise he is returning to usher in your eternal kingdom of righteousness and peace. Thank you, Father, that over the course of your implementing that plan of redemption, your spirit carried men along to write exactly what you wanted them to say, to reveal who you are, who we are, how we can be reconciled to you, to show us the path to life. Oh, Father, we love your word. Deepen our love for it. Enable us to make these commitments, to follow you, to love you. Do it, we pray. Show us more and more of yourself in your word. In Jesus' name we pray.